0: Welcome to the Cyber Guy Podcast, your source for engaging cyber education, cyber discussions, and a look at current cyber news and trends with retired FBI Special Agent Darren Mott. Hello, friends. Welcome to this episode of the Cyber Guy Podcast. I am your host, retired FBI Supervisory Special Agent Darren Mott. And in this episode, we continue our summer series of... Origin stories with Daryl Loy, the director of modern learning at the Fort Worth Christian School. Daryl and I have been connect- Daryl and I have been connected on LinkedIn for a while. Um, he beta tested one of my um, educational cyber classes I did online, so we may talk about that a little bit. We not it's his story, so we'll let him go with that. So, if you are enjoying the, um, if you are enjoying these. Origin story is great. You can go find me on LinkedIn, Darren.Mott, or just look for Darren Mott, Cyber Guy, whatever. And there's a Calendly invite link there. I'll put it in the show notes too. And you can sign up and do your own origin story. Love talking to all sorts of people. So feel free to do that. If you are enjoying the podcast, if maybe you're learning from the podcast, feel free to subscribe, leave some comments uh, where you see fit. One thing to note coming forward, uh, or going forward in September 1st, I'm doing. I'm starting a new daily podcast. It'll be very short, a couple minutes a day, talking about cyber news that happened overnight or the day before or that's pressing cyber news things. Um, so it'll be called Cyber Smart News, and we're going to do that for a while. We'll see how that goes. So look for that. I'll obviously talk about that more as we go forward. But with that, let's get to our origin story with Daryl Loy. Well, it's my pleasure to bring on for this week's origin story, Daryl Loy. He is the director of modern learning at the Fort Worth Christian school in North Richland Hills, Texas. Daryl, fellow podcaster, educator. Thank you so much for coming on. Hey, thank you for having me. I love the idea of uh,
1: the origin story. So I'm, I'm, I appreciate the opportunity to jump on here and, and share mine.
0: Great, I appreciate you jumping on. And we just f- for background, we connected on LinkedIn two years ago, roughly 2021, um, somewhere in there. And you yeah. you actually helped me out when I was trying to do this online uh, cyber education thing, and you were one of my beta testers. For,
1: correct. Yeah. And we've talked more recently about the possibility of doing some other talks at school. So,
0: yeah, yeah, cool. All right, so let's get started. Where'd you? Well, let's go ahead and start at the beginning.
1: Well, I want to do a quick level set for your listeners. Okay, um, and that is the fact that I am old. All right, so uh, you know some of your lung- younger listeners might struggle with some of the earlier memories and things that I'm going to talk about, but uh, but I am I am definitely an older guy, which works to my advantage working in IT because. Um, Older folks, uh, you know, work in education, and and a lot of times there's some very tenured teachers, and they try to pull that on me sometimes. Well, I'm old, you know. I don't. Well, so am I. So that that doesn't always work.
0: So well, d- well, define define old though.
1: Um. Well, I'm uh, six decades. How's that sound? Okay. Uh, fair
0: enough. All right. Fair yeah, enough. I'm, I'm I'm 61 years old. Okay. So, so well, only you're only four years older than me. So you're 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 one high you're one high school session longer than me. So we're both old. So there you go. But anyway, I'm I'm intruding in your own story. So go ahead. That's okay. That's all right. Well, you know, some of my earliest memories really are
1: of um, uh, taking electronics apart, always wanting to figure out how things work. Um, I remember uh, rigging my parents' cars with radios and antennas and uh, doing all kinds of crazy stuff like that. So I've always sort of been Interested in technology from uh, from a very early age. Um, I remember shortly after I've got three older siblings, and shortly after my my brother moved out, um, I discovered this random phone jack in my bedroom that I moved into when he moved out. And this was long before uh, you could go out and and buy your own phone, or this is the the world of landlines and the world of uh, you know you had to actually rent a phone from AT&T you couldn't even buy a phone for your for your house. So but I but I spotted this thing down on the wall and I started tinkering with that attached a speaker to it learned I could actually hear people talking it was a, it was a thing. Um so uh, I've always just kind of been as I said interested in technology and how stuff works. I still get grief from my family cuz occasionally I'll sit around and watch that show how it's made, I think is what it's called and so you know, just, uh, just always been interested in in, in that uh, particular aspect of uh, technology and systems and that kind of thing. I um, don't specifically recall when my interest in computers was born, but likely late 70s. I was uh, in high school. Um, my first computer I ever used was in high school, but it, it was not a... Uh, not anything that anyone today would recognize as a computer. It was a, a keyboard attached to a printer. There was no screen involved. I actually had to dial the phone number for another computer, put the phone in a cradle. Um, so it was connecting to a larger, we called them mainframe computers back in the day. So uh, that's that's kind of was my first um, um, experience with computers and I remember thinking, uh, how, how's this working? How, how does this work? Uh, and I probably being a high school student thought, well, how can I break it? How can I really dig in there and figure out what's what's going on? Now, this was obviously late 70s way before hacking or cyber was was really even a thing. But uh, which part of the country? Are that we that was- talking? Where,
0: where were you? Like, where were you at this time?
1: At this time I, I grew up here in texas oh, okay um suburb of fort worth i'm in uh grew up in halton city which was a little suburb of fort worth went okay. to Haltom High school graduated 1980 um so uh, i i i went on to college but i like to tell people i was on the 10-year plan because it, it took me a while to figure out what uh you know what i was doing and what i wanted to do i actually did start out in computer science so i took programming courses things like that various Kinds of languages, uh, some theory-related classes, some math-related classes, and in that process, I took an accounting course, and oddly enough, found it very interesting. And I know people look at me sideways when I when I say that accounting is interesting to me, but but it was. Um, so, and you know, accounting types, even in the corporate world, are very techy, uh, especially today. They it, everything involves a computer, so. Um, so it wasn't necessarily a huge stretch for me. But uh, I, I spent some time at a junior college here locally, decided uh, needed to get a full four-year degree and um, enrolled at Texas Tech University. Uh, went out there considering a, a, a what was called an MIS degree at the time. That's uh, Management Information Systems. And it was kind of a a wide variety of, of topics, not really any one particular focus. We, you know, it, it included some programming classes. It included some accounting classes. It com- uh, included some business communication things. And, um, it was a wide variety of classes, nothing, in, in, nothing specific, I'd say. And I was talking this over with my dad and, um, he sort of made me stop and think, you know, you're familiar with the phrase, uh, Jack of all trades, master of none. And he said, maybe you want to find something and kind of focus on that. And uh, so that's what I did. I I decided to pursue pursue the accounting degree. Um, so I, I do have an accounting degree from Texas Tech. Um, I did that, you know, I had computers, I'd use computers. Um, I remember buying one of the first full sort of systems that I bought. It was Commodore 64, if you remember those back in mm-hmm. the day.
0: Um, probably I'd say 83, maybe no Vic 20. Um, you didn't start with the Vic 20. You went right to the Commodore. you went right up to the Commodore 64. I actually had a tr- trash 80 as we called them, a eighty <laughs> yep. back in the day, the, the
1: radio shack device. Um, but that was black and white. The Commodore was in color and it, um, the, the, the TRS 80 had a, a cassette drive, believe it or not, is to, to store programs and data, on and the the commodore 64 actually came with a five and a quarter inch floppy it was you know the latest greatest thing mm-hmm. and a daisy wheel printer so uh, i did use that to write most of my papers in school
0: we should um, say st- well let's stop there for a second so daisy we should probably explain what a daisy wheel printer is because i guarantee you probably you and i are the only ones who know what that is but go ahead and explain what a daisy yeah. wheel printer is yes exactly well
1: uh, when you think about well i can't even compare it to a typewriter because there's probably mm-hmm. folks that don't even know what that is either <laughs> but the it, it was not a laser printer of any kind it actually uh, there was a a mechanism in there that that struck this little daisy wheel that had all the letters of the alphabet on this wheel and it struck that which struck uh, an ink ribbon which then struck the paper so um, yep. Yeah, it was um, it was cutting edge at the time. Yeah. But yeah, that little thing would uh, turn quickly. It, yeah, mm-hmm. and and it, that's how you changed fonts because each wheel you you could swap wheels and each wheel could have a different type of font. So that was uh, like I said, cutting edge stuff back then. Mm-hmm. But I remember the the literally the day I bought that Commodore sixty four, my girlfriend and I, who's now my wife of uh, thirty six years went to the movies to see war games with matthew broderick um and that was all about hacking and, and if you remember that movie he got uh, he thought he was playing a game with a travel agency or someone some random computer turned out to be something that was supposedly part of the department of defense um but that totally that hacking concept man that that totally stuck with me. Um, just something that was, was very, very interesting, uh, to me. So I continued on, uh, at Texas Tech, my senior year, I took, I felt this was interesting. This kind of stuck with me as well. I took a business stats class. I believe it was all of our exams, uh, all of our quizzes were on a computer. Now this was Again, 1983. Well, no, I'm sorry. I take that back. This was my senior year, so it was probably closer 86, 87. I graduated in '87. Um, but the thing about this computer was it it would learn what I knew and what I didn't. So the things that I knew and answered correctly, it stopped asking me those, and it would ask me then the things that I that I didn't know until I could get all you know, all the appropriate responses, correct. So uh, that fascinated me that it was actually kind of in a very rudimentary way learning um, what what I knew and what I didn't know and what I needed help with. And I thought that was fascinating for that period uh, of time. It didn't it probably didn't strike me so much right then, but later on as I dug into computers a little more, I thought that's that was kind of ahead of its time a little bit. So uh, that stuck with me um, as I continued to sort of practice and um on the side some programming things and tinker tinker with that but uh, the other unique thing about my senior year at texas tech i was introduced to the fbi mm. um, the old school uh, fbi spent a lot of time uh recruiting folks with accounting degrees mm-hmm. and uh, attorneys as well. So they there were actually two agents from the Dallas field office that came to Texas Tech and did a, a job fair kind of thing. And I, I was hooked, man, i, I that was that was something that I'd, I'd never considered it in my entire life prior to those guys coming out and, and talking. Uh, so I was hooked. Um, I continued to talk with a, a recruiter after uh, those guys left and found out that they have a very had at the time a very strict vision requirement and uh, so that was uh, that was a little bummer uh, that that would hold me out i even talk, looked it into surgery corrective surgery and that was even frowned on at, yeah in 87
0: time. that would have been, corrective surgery in 87 would have been rough cuz it, yeah. it wouldn't have been laser oriented it would have been yeah nope. <laughs> people with knives yep. in their hands i don't think i'd want anybody near my eyes with that
1: <laughs> I, I oddly enough I had a friend who who had done it it was a procedure called radial keratotomy I don't know why I remember that but I do but it, you're exactly right it's they they're actually slicing the surface of your eye to create sort of a, a, a lens out of the surface mm. of your eye yeah it sounds painful sounds painful so it didn't yeah I, I was bummed that I that that was pretty much the end of it uh, Uh, For me with the FBI, but uh, they didn't push you. I'm sorry. They
0: didn't push push you towards like a professional support role in any way or that you just Um, wanted to be an agent, which. Yeah. No no, fault. No fault there. (laughs) I I can't blame you there.
1: (laughs) No, they they didn't uh, didn't push me in that direction. And again, yeah, you're right. That's that's kind of what I wanted to do. Um, So I I started my accounting career, uh, started with a manufacturing company here in the Metroplex area. And uh, fast forward a few years, I don't remember exactly how, but I was at a job fair or something and learned about the BOP, the Bureau of Prisons, another DOJ um, uh, division. And those guys were hiring accounting types for um, actually was for. There's a federal prison just uh, um, south of Dallas here, and they were they were actually hiring for positions there. And I thought maybe this is another opportunity, another way for me to 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 get into the DOJ, and and maybe at some point a lateral move if uh, if things changed. So I I decided to throw my hat in the ring, went to um, an interview process at this federal uh, facility south of Dallas. And that was an ordeal. That was an, an entire day, uh, interview process. There were, um, uh, group interviews. There were inter- interviews with individuals. Um, we toured the facility. They did a complete physical on me. Um, it was, I, I literally spent the, the entire day out there and, um, ultimately ended up with a job offer. Um which I thought was uh, was nice, but but I had two issues with it. at that point in my career, I'd been already been working in private industry for a while, so the pay was a challenge mm-hmm. uh, it was a little less than what I was making currently. But then the other thing I remember specifically is thinking to myself, how far behind they were from a systems perspective? Um, an older older versions of Windows on everything, um, a lot of DOS stuff uh still at that point in time and this would have been early 90s um i think my oldest son was born at the time but but
0: uh so it was a re- pre pre windows 3.1 whatever windows was before 3.1 yeah, yeah i believe it was i just i do
1: remember a lot of the systems they were using were were dos based windows oh yeah that makes sense uh, yeah the you know Excel came out early on, but you had to have a runtime version of Windows even before Windows was a full blown OS. And so, uh, I think that's that's kind of where they were. And I thought to myself, ah, do I really want to take a step backwards and and uh, struggle through some of that? So ultimately, I I stayed in the uh, the accounting position that uh, that I was in in the manufacturing company in uh, in Irving, Texas. Uh, but that was unique because my boss who was technically the CFO, he actually wrote every line of code in the entire system that we use, the manufacturing system. This was a, a System 36, if you're familiar with those. Mm-hmm. a big um, I think they technically called them mini computers. I'm not real sure. It was small, but not a mainframe, but it still was a big chunk of hardware. Um, most of our interaction with it was through terminals uh, occasionally or, or eventually we moved into PCs that emulated the terminal uh, but he wrote literally every piece of software that we used from general ledger accounts payable accounts receivable payroll everything
0: what what um programming language
1: um i want to say it was probably rpg if i recall correctly um the 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 system 36 it was predecessor to the as400 and they it was all ibm stuff and mm. they, they i think most of it was was rpa rpg uh related uh report program generator i think i was gonna say
0: for the for the younger listeners it doesn't mean role-playing game that's not what that means
1: no yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it does not uh very true but because he was in that role i and i was close to to that we had actually one software developer on uh the payroll and that system required a system operator so i hung out with those guys was still able to kind of exercise some of my programming muscles as well and and uh help out with with certain uh aspects of the system that we were that we were using but uh but that was you know that that i i I, moved on from there had a a number of accounting related jobs um uh and then one business analyst role at a major telecom company again that isn't that doesn't exist anymore mci telecommunications you probably remember them sure yeah but uh it, always very very close to to the systems and all my accounting roles I think every job that I had I probably went through at least one major system conversion so was very involved in in that process from defining tables and you know building charts of accounts and all those those kinds of things that that come along with system conversions so and my yeah, guess really is
0: straight, my guess is at this time, there weren't a lot of people with the skills that you had to do that. So you were always, Hey, we need to, we need to do this from a computer perspective. Let's go call Daryl. He'll fix, he'll figure it out for us. He's he's our cyber guy.
1: Yeah, pretty Mm -hmm. much, pretty much. Yep. Um, it it was way, way early. The internet really wasn't necessarily a a huge thing at the time. When I, when I started with MCI, that's when I began to get Mm -hmm. sort of exposed to, to the internet, um, At the time let's see that would have been um i want to say 98 ish um
0: in your linkedin it says 96 to 2000.
1: there there we go there we go and that was um you know mci owned actually a lot of the uh, the backbone of the internet Mm -hmm. at, at that point in time they they developed and patented a number of the the fiber technologies that were in place um they they patented a fiber cable that was actually in the, the ground cable that ran from tower electric tower to tower. So that's where they built a lot of their, their backbone network was on top of these electrical towers that were already strewn across the country. Um, MCI stands for Microwave Communications Incorporated. So most of how uh, that company started was with was based on microwave communications, but they quickly moved into and kind of took over the whole, the whole fiber space. I think they they
0: became world, my MCI WorldCom right now, they're Verizon. Correct. Exactly. And and that whole
1: WorldCom thing was kind of, um, I, I sort of saw the handwriting on the wall and that's when I made my, my departure. Um, I, I went back to a manufacturing company for a short while, but, um, Uh, One of the VPs that I worked for at MCI went uh, to a uh, wireless internet startup company that was eventually bought by Craig McCaw, who was buying up all the cell stuff back uh, in in that point, uh, in in that time frame. So I went to work for a company called ClearWire, and their claim to fame was wireless broadband uh, technology, but it had its limits. It was line of sight kind of stuff, um, but it was... It was pretty innovative at the time. We, our, our, one of our big demos was we would we had folks on a boat um, somewhere out in the middle of a lake near Jacksonville, Florida, and they're out there on the boat surfing the internet. And because they everything was coming in uh, wirelessly, we had towers all around uh, the lake. So that was sort of sort of their claim to fame. But that was very expensive. You had to purchase. Um, spectrum that the airwaves that that this stuff traveled on Um, and the FCC in their wisdom had actually given away a lot of the license to educational institutions uh, back in the day because they wanted to sort of drive this um, distance learning kind of uh, infrastructure so we ended up having to rent that spectrum space back and they wanted tons and tons and tons of money um so um eventually we ran out of money bottom line it was a startup it was uh we we had some pretty significant rounds of uh of funding but with those large uh payments required to maintain that spectrum it it just kind of kind of took took the money and uh and ran with it so to speak but uh um
0: that's in fact, interesting we, that's I will I will say that's interesting because in the 2001-2003 time frame that was the tech bubble was right in there in that key yeah, yeah. in that area. So if you had anything tech technologically oriented especially if you were internet backbone based sort of so to speak then it's amazing they couldn't keep that to working.
1: Yeah, it uh, it was the. I just remember the big issue was that spectrum, and if we hmm. were going to continue to operate in that spectrum, we had to pay those those licensing fees, and that that was just. You huge. couldn't find a
0: different spectrum, a better spectrum, or cheaper spectrum.
1: It, it's very much uh, driven on the type of equipment, oh. uh, as, as I recall. So you, we would have had to have changed the uh, entire. Um, infrastructure that we had built at, at that point in time um, which I think ultimately happened obviously 4G 5g all that stuff is um, the same sort of uh, concept and just completely different uh, mm-hmm. equipment um, so so we yeah we've kind of faced with that that struggle how do we how, how do we make this work um, and uh, get just very very expensive uh and, uh, so I came in on a, uh, on a Friday afternoon, clear why was in the summertime. We were, my family and I had two, my wife and two small boys at the time, we were headed out on vacation that Friday and boss said, basically, don't, you know, don't bother coming back. Um, <laughs> Great. It was, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, um, you know, I was, um, I, I struggled with that, obviously, you know, do we go on vacation? Do we not? Um, uh, ultimately, we went ahead and went. I convinced myself I wasn't going to worry about the whole job thing uh, at all. Just going to enjoy the vacation. We may extend it a, a week or so because there's no big rush to get back uh, into town. And that lasted about three days before I started looking for for another job. Um <clears throat> But that's when I, uh, the literally the first job that popped up, it was monster.com back in the day. The very first job that popped up was at this little school in Southwest Fort Worth. Um, they were looking for someone to do accounting and finance, uh, IT and facilities, oddly enough. It was the official position was director of operations, um, you know, and I always, I always kind of been mechanically inclined, you know, all the tearing up of stuff I did as mm-hmm. a kid. And uh, um, obviously I had the accounting and, and the systems experience. And I thought, nah, I'll, I'll apply for this job. We'll see what happens. I said, I can do this school thing for a year or so until I can find another corporate job. And that was 21 years ago. <laughs> so, and I'm still in education. Uh, I tell people I was looking for a job and I actually found a career. Um, it's, um, it's really been uh, a, a great ride for me. And, and I'm, I am anticipating a number of years more in, in this, uh, in this world. Um, uh, you know, and, and honestly over time, it, it became less of an accounting, um, job, and, and, and more of an IT related, uh, uh, job. I focused on those aspects of the job more so because I realized when I got there that, education was pretty far behind as well, uh, from a tech perspective. Um, so, uh, especially there was this sort of new thing referred to as education technology. Um, and that's basically, you know, the, the, the real integration of technology into education, not just re- necessarily replacing, you know, filling out a, um, uh, uh, some sort of worksheet with filling it out online, but real true sort of integration into the, into the curriculum. Um, so that, that was, that was new and, d- and different, uh, for me and, and something that was very interested, I- interesting to me. Um, and my, the school that I became a part of Fort Worth Academy they um, were were already out there a little bit from a tech perspective they um one of the first schools in the area to actually build a computer lab Uh, uh one of the first private schools in in that part of fort worth to build a computer lab they were also one of the first ones to actually take that computer lab down and distribute the computers to the classrooms because they realized sending kids off to a room to learn about computers is not the appropriate approach. It needs, again, to be integrated into what's going on in the classroom. So um, after shortly after that move, I think they realized pretty quickly that just those handful of machines in the room weren't going to be enough. You've got anywhere 15, 16 kids in a classroom, um, just a couple of machines weren't, weren't enough. Um, so they invested in carts where that would hold laptops and those carts then traveled around, uh, from classroom to classroom as the teacher needed them, uh, for various assignments or whatnot. And that, uh, worked okay. That's about when I came in to, to Fort Worth Academy, they were struggling with the carts because, um, there was no, no real ownership by the students. So they didn't necessarily take care of the devices. Um, the the teacher that had them on Friday may forget to plug them in, so the teacher that was signed up for them on Monday, um, her lesson plan was blown because she didn't have machines to work with. So, as I said, that's about when I came in. So the boss tasked me with kind of figuring out what's what's next, and um, that's when we we sort of discovered this whole one to one computing phase that uh, some schools had already begun to. To implement basically that's one device per student every kid has their their own laptop
0: um so what year was what I year did. was this if you don't mind me asking
1: no and don't uh i started at fort worth academy in 2003 and we started looking at this 2004 wow um, late 2004 2000. so you
0: started assigning the kids their own laptops in the mid-2000s that is, yeah. that is, yeah, yeah, that is leading edge right there. Cause I don't think you, a lot of schools are doing that at the time. That's for sure.
1: Exactly. We, we spent, uh, uh, I think we officially rolled it out to all the students in the fall of 2007. Yeah. We spent about two years, honestly, doing the research, um, talking to our constituents, our parent community, our board, explaining to them why this is the future, why we need to do this and, uh, also preparing them for quite a, uh, hike in tuition. We had a pretty substantial, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> pretty substantial increase in tuition to pay for all of this stuff. But, you know, because we spent that time explaining, um, our position and, and why this is important in a way that our constituents could understand, we had act absolutely zero pushback from that, uh, tuition increase. Private schools, if your listeners aren't familiar, they're, they're not, they don't typically receive or any sort of government funding. Um, no, no funding at all. It's all tuition, uh, based tuition and, and fundraising. So, um, the, the cost to operate this one-to-one program was going right back to the parents that were bringing their kids to the school and, and to not get, a single question, uh, on, is this, are you serious? We're going to have a 10 point, whatever it was, percent increase in their tuition. Mm -hmm. Um, that, that was a, a testament really to my boss and, um, all supported by, by the research that he had asked me, asked me to do. But, uh, but yeah, so we, we were, we were way out there. Uh, we referred to ourselves as pioneers, um, and that gave our teachers and faculty, um, some, some, uh, feeling of, uh, that they could actually make a mistake or two. We're, we're out here on the cutting edge, you know, that, that we're figuring a lot of this stuff out as we go. Um, interesting story I had a very tenured teacher, um, who was very, very concerned about starting the school year that, fall of 2007 with these devices she just wasn't she was nervous about it didn't know what she was going to do with them how she was going to make it all all work she was not uh, necessarily technically savvy and um she was just n- nervous about it well we got the year going and um we bought if you remember a company called gateway we bought some gateway computers convertible tablets uh PCs laptops so the screen spun around and folded down they had stylists and and the students could actually take notes on them again pretty pretty cutting edge for the time um but what happened literally in the by the middle of the school year every one of those laptop hinges had failed Mm. it was poor design and of course when you think about that single hinge that every wire that controls the screen runs through that hinge. Mm -hmm. So as those hinges began to fail, they would actually slice those wires. And um, quickly the machines just became unusable. and, And it was a design flaw and Gateway was struggling. They couldn't keep up with the demand for the repairs. They didn't have enough machines to swap out for us. There were no other... They didn't have another model on in their portfolio at the time, so um, our board made a very difficult decision, but I think again the right decision to to actually fund us going out and replacing all of those machines. So we were K to eight school with about two hundred and fifty students, and about half of those is what we. in our middle school were had, had, these devices. So 125, 130 devices. Um, and at that time they were expensive. So it was a big, a big financial commitment. Um, but they did that. And we were able to continue the one-to-one program, but back to my teacher who was concerned about starting the year because we were so late in placing the order for these new devices. And we'd gone with the, the Lenovo, um, device to replace them but because we were so late in getting that started, we weren't able to get the devices in before school started. They were scheduled to ship about two weeks into the school year and that same teacher came back to me and said, "I am so nervous about starting the school year without my devices." She had in that short uh, period of time she had had uh, really grown uh, a lot in her, tech savvy approach and and really understood how she could incorporate these things into the curriculum and uh so i just thought i think that that's just a fascinating story about how how quickly she became uh uh you know a player with with these devices and really understanding the benefit uh to them to our
0: to our students so uh so 2007 doing this you're you're were they networked did they have connections to the internet or anything like that, or were they? Yes. Yeah, okay, so um, at the end of the year, in addition to fixing the screens and the hinges, did you also have to clean them of all the malware that had been downloaded over the course of the year? (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Of course we did. Um, And and that's the other thing. we, As a
1: part of building this one-to-one program, we knew that our internal Wi-Fi infrastructure needed to be the best that it could possibly be. And and up until that point, we had just been using uh, uh, um, consumer-grade access points and that kind of thing around the campus. And I made the investment in a little-known company uh, called Meraki which is now owned by Cisco Um, in all of their, we deployed all their wireless, uh, their, their access points, switches, and then what they call a security appliance. The thing I loved about that is I didn't have to speak Cisco to be able to manage this network. Uh, Meraki was way, way out ahead. They had drop down menus for everything. Um, And so someone like me who, Who had a decent it um, uh, background but you know speaking cisco is a completely different level um so i didn't have to do that rocky um uh, solved all that for us i could manage everything was managed on a single pane of glass it was all web-based i could manage it from anywhere in fact there's an article um, i was at a conference in in um, memphis tennessee and our network went down and i was able to manage uh, um, that while I was at the conference using my laptop connected there, and there was a representative of, um, CDWG, they have a magazine, uh, about education technology and they happened to be in the session I was in where I was speaking about this kind of stuff. And they ultimately did, did an article and, uh, it was all, um, it was, it was pretty interesting, but again, that was another cutting edge aspect, but yeah, they were all, all definitely, um, uh, connected to the internet. And yes, we, we struggled with, do we give, who, who do we give uh, the, the appropriate rights to, to be able to download software, all that kind of stuff. Um, but really, and it's that's sort of been my philosophy um, from the get-go is if you, I'm not an old school IT guy. And if you lock stuff down it, with kids, you're just, just begging for trouble you know, they're, they're going, they're going to want to find ways to get around, um, everything that you put up. So, uh, I'm sort of the guy that that leans towards not locking things down and really educating kids on what the ramifications of their actions are. And, and ultimately they're the ones that get, uh, impacted by it when their machine doesn't work or those kinds of things. So, um, uh, so yes, we we did clean them up every summer. We typically at that point we were going and re-imaging them all each each summer. That's just the cleanest way to to wipe everything of uh, of all those kinds of things. But yeah, that's that's always uh, always a concern. You know, we dealt with a number of different types of um, filtering options. There were all of that stuff was new back then.
0: So Dallas This is a side question, but so Dallas is just got hit with ransomware, right? The not the the city of Dallas. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So how does that impact the school system? I know you guys, you're private, obviously so different, but from a public school perspective, did they share the same? You may not know this, but did they share the same infrastructures? Just more curious question out of me because of your location, but.
1: Yeah, no, not that, uh, not that I'm aware of. Um, I do have uh, some good friends that are uh, uh, part of uh, Dallas Police Department, and they were impacted. Even the the uh, mobile term- terminals that are in the police cars were impacted. But mm. um, I don't believe the education system at all was was impacted by that. That's good.
0: Yeah. So where's where? What's your next? So I see uh, looking at your LinkedIn profile, you're now the director of modern learning at Good Shepherd Episcopal. Are you still doing the IT and the same same kind of stuff with the kids computers and stuff like that
1: yeah well what i'm trying to build here what i built at good shepherd and now what i'm trying to build at uh fourth christian is this department of modern learning which Is really a a kind of a convergence, if you will, of a lot of different aspects of education technology. It is a convergence of that traditional IT, so the network infrastructure, making sure all that um, stuff—that's the foundation of everything that we do—is is is a part of my department. But also, there's a a position that we call a tech integrator. It's it's the the individuals partner with the classroom teacher and. It's our, it's the tech integrators role to understand what education technology options are out there to be incorporated into the curriculum, uh, with, with the classroom teacher. So it's very much, this department is very much a collaborative, uh, approach. So we're, we're not there to teach the kids. We are, we are a teacher facing organization where they are to, to support and collaborate with the teachers, co-teach with them if, if need be, um, but it includes the the integrator includes uh, our library media specialist. That's very much a collaborative role, and these days that's very much uh, tech related as well. Um, our we we want to run a design uh, thinking lab, a makerspace, if you will, where we're teaching some of those fundamentals of design thinking. Um, and then we want to have the 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 curriculum specialist, the 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 person that sort of manages the curriculum across the institution. It's important for us to know well, you know what assignments are coming up, what projects fourth grade is is anticipating in the next grading period. And then we know how we can we can plug in basically um, and and help them accomplish all of the curricular goals for the institution.
0: Is this a K through eight school as well?
1: Uh, Fort Worth Christian is my first K-12 school. All right. So we actually have high school kids. It's weird for me to look around and see kids <laughs> as big as me walking around. Too. Sure. That's, that's bizarre.
0: And that, that adds a whole new host of cyber threat possibilities for you because they're a little more savvy at the older ages. And are starting to think, okay, how can I download guardians of the galaxy and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Yes.
1: And my son, my youngest son actually went through Fort Worth Christian, um, before I started working there. And he, um, it, uh, you know, I'm a musician also, he didn't pick up any of any of that from me, but he certainly picked up all the tech, um, uh, interests from me. And he's taken that to a whole nother level. He, um, uh, studied computer science. He's in the process of, uh, he 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 works uh, gigs, writing programs, uh, doing things like that while he's working on some some new developments in uh, artificial intelligence. Actually, and math, he thinks about stuff that I can't even comprehend. But uh, but he his interest. I'll just throw this out there. Also, his interest in all of this actually led the two of us to start attending. Uh, every summer, DefCon in uh, Las Vegas. If you're familiar yeah. with DefCon, nice. Um, so you must yeah, have just we, got back we, then. We, <laughs> well, we didn't go this year. COVID kind of put the kibosh on that for us, and we haven't been back since. Oh, okay. But we we did probably about four years prior prior to COVID. We were out there pretty much every every summer, and and that's fascinating i I don't know if you've had the opportunity to go but the the latest stats that i heard you know there's twenty five thousand people attending this uh hacking conference that's pretty much what it is and and it's shifted from black hat hackers to to white hat hackers um some great sessions on on how these guys really help vendors find vulnerabilities um and, and that's you know that's their goal but from the some of the stats that were shared with us on the last couple of years that we were there, there were just as many, if not more, federal agents that are enrolled in this than there were actual
0: actual white hats. Yeah, actors. I hate to say it's a boondoggle for them. They're not yeah. doing they're not they're not providing anything of use when they come back. I can tell you that much. I mean I didn't go, I never went, I never had the opportunity, and I didn't it wasn't just wasn't my thing. But I guarantee you they're not exactly um adding to the the intelligence level of the cyber world, the federal agents going to, maybe yeah, I'm yeah. wrong, but I, I don't, I, I've never saw it. I never saw a tangent or a tangible benefit from the people I sent to DEF CON when they came back. Sure. They had a great time. Loved Las Vegas, yeah. but didn't it exactly help Vegas. me solve any cases, yeah. sadly to say, but well, Daryl, <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah. Daryl, thank you so much for, for, for coming on and sharing your story. You can find Daryl on LinkedIn, linkedin.com slash I N slash Daryl Loy. And you have a couple podcasts you want to pitch him. Uh, yeah, I, I do a, a school-related
1: podcast called School Vibe. Um, we're in a little bit of a hiatus right now, and uh, uh, some of the folks that I would picked to do some co-hosting are off doing some different things. So I'm trying to get that uh, retooled and and help uh, focus a little more on this modern learning
0: concept. I'm really out there trying to, to to pitch that. To be honest with you, awesome school vibes. All right, looking for that, yeah. Daryl. Thanks again. Enjoy the rest of your week. I hope it's a hot night. I assume it's hot in Dallas. It's hot in hot oh, in Alabama. It is.
1: Yeah, it uh, we got a little, a little reprieve today. It's uh, didn't it, I don't think it actually hit one hundred, but we'll be back up to one hundred and seven by the end of the week.
0: Yeah, I think we were one hundred and nine today with the heat index, but it's supposed to be eighty tomorrow. So that's what I am looking forward to. But nice, yes, nice. Thanks again, Daryl. Appreciate it. Have a good, great rest of your week. Thank you. So once again, I want to thank Daryl Loy for coming on the podcast and giving his origin story. It's fascinating to hear how different people get from something they thought they were going to do when they when they first started college or left high school to ultimately getting to what their passion is later in life and 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 helping to keep this crazy cyber world we're in, keep the people that are in it safe where we can. Coming up this week, I have I have a couple more origin stories coming. I have a, a fellow FBI agent uh, coming to talk about her work now. Uh, she's no longer an agent, but talking about her work trying to protect kids online and, and stop human trafficking of children. And I have a LinkedIn superstar coming on next week, but I'll keep that one a secret. It's a little tease for, for later next week. If you're interested in giving your origin story, feel free to take a look at the Calendly link in the show notes of this podcast and set a time and we'll make it happen. I appreciate everybody listening. As you go through your week, know that knowledge is protection. If you can understand the threats targeting you, you can assess your risk. Proceed wisely. Follow me on LinkedIn, linkedin.com slash in slash Darren Mott, or you can email me Darren at the cyber cyber spelled C-Y-B-U-R. Thanks again for listening. Once you're done listening, tell a friend, have them download, have them listen, subscribe to the podcast, wherever you're getting this podcast. I appreciate all of your support. We will talk again soon.